0: Mr. Brown's door is very popular. It's uh, it's good to see um, so many of you today. Good to see your kids and um, um, on a kind of gray day in many ways. So um, I'm going to read to you uh, Philippians 4, uh, 6, and 7 here in just a second. Uh, a well-known passage, one that uh, probably is in the top ten list of... Uh, Uh, Day Spring Christian Cards, these verses are probably on there, so you've probably even given cards or received cards with this verse. (laughs) It's uh, it's a great one, um, uh, and a a particularly uh, relevant one to us today. So in light of that, let me pray, and then I'll read the text. Uh, Jesus, we come to you today thanking you for what you did as you stood outside uh, that city of Jerusalem, that great city, uh, the city that should have welcomed you, um, that in the end rejected you, Lord. Uh, today, as we hear the shouts of Hosanna, let's also remember your tears, as you wept outside of Jerusalem over her and our refusal to see and to believe and to receive. So help us today, Lord, uh, we, uh, we confess uh, our weakness and our lack of understanding, our lack of wisdom, and yet we do turn to you because we know you are the source of all that is good. So bless us today, we pray in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. So Philippians 4, 6-7, to this is the word of God, we should hear it and respond to it as such this morning. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Um, So AJ, go ahead and put my notes up there. So I uh, I don't know what your remedy for anxiety is. I know for some people it's whiskey. I know for some people it's exercise, for some people it's nicotine, for uh, some people uh, it's uh, Krispy Kreme donuts. By the way, get your vaccine, free donut. Now I know many of you are anti-donut because it's not health food. So there's quite been a, quite a, kickback, uh, a rejection of Krispy Kreme, by certain corners of our culture, did you know that, because donuts not healthy? But I will have to say, they only come 12 in a box, you know, they could come more, but only 12, right? And you only get one free one, and though, you know, I will say this as well, it's not a, r- a remedy for anxiety, but I've never tasted a Krispy Kreme donut that made me feel bad. Now. Now I've eaten some that much later made me feel really bad, but that's my fault, not Krispy Kreme's fault, right? So we'd look for all sorts of things to solve our anxiety, right? And probably in many ways, more so than ever, we're anxious. Ironically, and we'll unpack this a little bit more as we go through this morning, we have less reason to be anxious than any people who's ever lived on this planet. If you just look at the odds, I mean, we have vaccines. Think about that for a second. Now, some of you don't like vaccines. I'm a big believer in them. I remember standing in the line of my elementary school cafeteria to get a sugar cube with a drop of the polio vaccine on it. As a five-year-old, I remember that really well because I was like a sugar cube, you know. It's not Krispy Kreme, but it's pretty good. I had cousins who had spent months in iron lungs. So I remember what it was like to go and to do this, knowing that if I did this, then I wouldn't have to go sit in an iron lung or have a limp, as two of them, two of them are still alive, do today because they had polio. It's remarkable. This time of year, I love to run, I love to run all the time, but this, this time of year it's very difficult to run outside because I'm not so s- certain that it's healthy because there's so much pollen in the air. And you know, you run and you come back in and you, you, know, you, you itch, your eyes itch, your, your nose runs, and it makes me wheeze a little bit too. So, so during this time of year I will also often run inside. This week I was running socially distant on a treadmill in a gym. And the guy two or three treadmills down from me is running, running really hard. And I, as I you know, I'm watching him because that's what I do when I'm in the gym. I look at people, and 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 there are all sorts of weird things going on in my gym. But this this day, I look at this guy, and I think that is the biggest camelback I've ever seen in my life. You know what a camelback is? It's a thing you wear that's got a a big bladder in it, hate that word, but a big bladder in it that's full of water and you you drink the water so you can stay hydrated while you run. No, that's, he's fat, he's not gonna run that long, so I don't know why he needs a Camelback. So I'm done, and I'm looking at him up close, I walk behind him and I look and he's not wearing a Camelback, he's running in my gym with a bulletproof vest. Brothers and sisters at a church in Indonesia this morning went to church for a Palm Sunday worship service. And as they left, bombs went off. Right? We all know, those of us that live in the West End, Friday afternoon, I saw the police streaming down Gaten Road. We're horrified that a teenager was murdered in her neighborhood. Neighbor across the street from us talked to Marty yesterday and said, she probably wouldn't be letting her boys play soccer out in the front yard because you know these things happen. Anxiety producing, isn't it? of course, you know, the truth is uh, a teenager shot another teenager this week. Actually, I think Thursday in Petersburg. Many neighborhoods in our country. Kids kill kids every week. There's much to be anxious about, isn't there? And here we are In church, on Palm Sunday, in the middle of a pandemic, as I look into your faces, I see all of you with masks on, much to make us anxious. And so when we read this text, we could think all sorts of things. It's a wonderful text. But what I want us to do this morning as we consider what Paul says about our anxiety is to come at this from from the standpoint of what he really means, who his audience is, and how we apply that truth to ourselves today. Now, let me be clear about a couple of things. One is, uh, I know a lot of you today struggle with anxiety disorders and you're on medication. Keep taking it. Please, don't stop. That, too, is a gift from God. And I also want you to know that having some anxiety and some alarm about some things is a good thing. Hearing a fire alarm go off and responding to that is good. You should do that. Having an alarm clock that wakes you up so you don't lose your job is a good thing. Right? Those things, those things are important, and I think they, 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 they help us, right? But just imagine what it would be like is to be walking around with that alarm going off in your head all the time, that alarm going off in your chest all the time, because as you look around you, you see and you know uh, the, the difficulty, the challenges that are in front of you, right? But the anxiety that Paul's getting at here seems to be an intense desire for something and fear that you might not get it. Or kind of the flip side of that is anxiety is also the focus upon negative consequences. If something bad were to happen, right? And we all go there, right? We're we're very quick to go there. I remember when uh, Marty was pregnant with our first child. She had a a terrible nightmare one night. She woke me up and she said, I dreamed that our baby died. And she said, what are we going to do if our baby dies? Well, he did die. Because we live in a world where the cemeteries are full of little children, right? So as we think about this, we, we have to be honest. And I think Paul is honest about that. Because as he writes this to the church in Philippi, he understands what they're facing. I mean, think about this for a second. There's anxiety in Philippi because the church could split over Euodia and Syntyche. There's anxiety in the church at Philippi because their friend, Epaphroditus, almost died and they're worried about him. There's anxiety in Philippi because their church planter, the founder of their church, Paul, is chained between two Roman soldiers in a prison and he may die. Not to mention the likelihood that there's ongoing persecution there in Philippi against that church. They have many reasons to be anxious Lots of things are arrayed against them. Lots of things could come against them. They, the possibility of suffering and the possibility of difficulty, even the possibility of death of themselves or people that they love, is very high. That could That is likely to happen. And yet Paul says to them in the midst of this, listen, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. Next slide. So, how do we deal with anxiety? Because if we're honest, we know that we're quite vulnerable. So, this this verse, the way we, we tend to look at this is, is that we could, we could read this text, we could come at this text, and we could begin to think, you know, that somehow or other simply praying about things is our anxiety, is our our antidote to anxiety. And you should pray. Right? No doubt you should pray. Because I think the way most people in, in the world, most human beings in the world, because when we come face-to-face with the reality of our vulnerability, when we come face-to-face with the reality that somebody we love is sick and dying, when we come to face-to-face with the reality that, that your child can be walking down a path and be dead, right? When you, when you come to grips with those things, then you recognize <clears throat> that, what, that, that what we need here is something to come to still our hearts, as Paul says here, to give us this peace that guards our hearts and allows us to live a faithful life in the midst of a world that is arrayed against us. And that has been the human problem since Genesis 3. I mean, imagine for a second. We, we, it's, it's almost impossible for me to understand. Here's Adam and Eve. They're in this garden. They don't know what anxiety is. They don't have anything to worry about there's no disease there's no brokenness and there's no violence there's there's none of that <clears throat> and as they as they as as they sin and they choose by their own rebellion to live their own way and they're cast out of the garden imagine what that first night outside of the garden was as they sleep try to sleep in a world where now there is much in that world That would be their undoing. Since that very day, we've had to live with the reality of of anxiety. Now, I think most people go about it one or two ways. One is, one way that you can deal with anxiety, and one of the ways that you can lower that anxiety a lot, is think about the world this way. There is no God. And, you know, it's simply a matter of math about whether bad things happen to you or not it's simply a matter of accident it's simply a matter of of you know when it when the cosmic dice get rolled you know you this this lands on you and this this happens to you so you make your peace and you find the the recipe to deal with your anxiety by just saying well these things happen I won't worry about it and I think the vast majority of people in the world go about it that way but uh, there's another way that, uh, that we can do with this. And as, as, as Paul says here, the world is a terribly broken place and you are a terribly broken person. And so when you come face to face with that, your own vulnerability, what do you do? Turn to God in prayer. You pray. And what he says here is, is that we, it, it, everything, we bring everything that would make us anxious to God We ask Him, we tell Him, we cry out to Him, we thank Him for who He is and what it is that He has uh, done for us, and we make our requests known to Him. And that somehow or other, that by doing that, we find a place where we can rest. Right? And that is absolutely true. And that is the point of this text. When you are overwhelmed with anxiety, don't turn to yourself, don't turn to your friends, don't turn to science, don't turn to these other things. Turn, first and foremost, to this God who hears you, who sees you, and who knows you. Now, let me, let me be clear about something here. You know, we, you, if, if, if it were that simple, and, and that's what you and I really believed, I could stop right now, we could sing the hymns, and we could go to brunch. But here's the problem. And this is, this is one of the things that I know from what I do every day in, in, in my living. And you know this is true as well. People say they believe something. And, and in a way, they might. But we actually function often as if something else were true. Now, when you read the commentaries and you read the sermons that have been preached historically on this text, one of the things that you find is is that the pastors and the preachers and the teachers are saying, did you know that your prayerlessness is functional atheism? That what Paul is getting at here is, if you really believe in God, you would pray. And you better pray. Right? Now, here's the thing. I'm, let me get in the stream here. Let me, let me meet your expectations. You don't pray enough, so pray more. Be thankful. Let your requests be known to God. You need to pray more. We all do. We should pray more. But here's the problem with that. We read this text not as, not as pastoral words of wisdom to us, But we read this text as a magic formula. That if I just pray enough, I I won't be anxious. And I'm afraid what for most of us, our functional theology is not atheism. We believe in God. We know there's a God. We're certain of it. But what we believe this God does for us is that when we pray to him, he gives us peace by guaranteeing to us that nothing bad is ever going to happen to us. Right? Next slide. Right? Now here's the, here's the crazy mystery in all of this. God keeps a lot of bad things from happening to you. A lot. We don't even know. That's, the, that's, that's it. A million bad things could have happened to you today, already. Maybe you were a second later than you usually are, and that kept you from getting run over by a car. Maybe you, who knows? There are a million different things like that. We'll never know all the different things, probably, until we get to heaven, how God protected us from bad things happening to us. But I'm here to tell you that the gospel of Jesus Christ does not promise to you that bad things won't ever happen to you. That is not God's promise. He has not made that promise. And even though we read in the Psalms and we read those great passages in, in, in the Old Testament, what you have to see is you can't, you can't take those promises and just set them out here somehow or other and may, and, and so that our functional theology, our functional belief now becomes that what God has done is he has guaranteed to me prosperity. You ever heard of the prosperity gospel? You know, we're Presbyterian. We don't believe in that, but we act like it's true. Right? We, we, our expectation is, hey, God, I'm with you in this. I got the good theology. I'm even Presbyterian, and we know they're the best. And so that means then that you are going to protect me and the people that I love. So that when I pray to you, what my expectation is, that no one I know will get cancer, no one I know will die before their time, No one I know is going to experience violence. No one I know will have to deal with injustice. That the fact is, I get protected from that. And so, But when we're confronted with difficulties and and hard things, we want to quickly rush to apply a narrative to that so that we can figure out, okay, this is why this happened, and because I can wrap my brain around this, that this is why this happened, then suddenly what becomes the source of our peace is not the God who knows us, who loves us, who walks with us, but what becomes the source of our peace is our feeble attempts to make sense of it. Jesus addresses that. Jesus was confronted one day when, when people came to him and said, hey, Jesus. These guys were offering their, their sacrifice in the temple, and Herod's soldiers came and killed them, and it was so gross that their blood was mingled with their sacrifices. And hey, Jesus, this, t- this tower over here in Siloam fell on these people and killed a bunch of them. Were they worse than everybody else? That's trying to get a narrative. And Jesus' response to that is, you're all in a mess. Repent, believe the gospel. Because, and Jesus sees this, and he's very bracing in the way in which he, he deals with this, is that the pathway to deal with our anxiety and the brokenness in the world is not to create a God who says to us, I will never let anything bad happen to you, but rather to see a God who's, who comes to us and says, I see you and the trouble you're in, and I rescue you for eternal life. I separate you from the effect, the killer, eternal, the eternally killing effect of sin and death on you by taking it upon himself, right? So here's the thing. You and I cannot trust God to keep bad things from happening to us or the ones we love. If we demand that, that God must do that, or we won't believe in him, then we're in, we have to decide whether or not God is good. Because if we wait to determine whether God is good by a particular outcome in my life, then God will always be on trial, and he's not to be trusted, and then you'll have no peace in your life. But if I start from the standpoint that God is good, and the evidence of that goodness, and this is the way we, we do this, we, our, our functional theology is not centered upon the cross the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's centered upon our circumstances so that we believe the goodness of God, the the work of God is dependent upon how circumstances work themselves out in my life. And so when I insist that the goodness of God must be manifest in a certain set of circumstances working themselves out in my life, I have forgotten that the proof of God's goodness is in the fact that when I was his enemy, Christ died for me. Next slide. What we have to understand is that Jesus left a place where there is no night to enter into our darkness. He met with blisters and indigestion, with fractured relationships, the death of friends, with an oppressive empire, the indignity of poverty, and the terror of violence. One night he sweat blood, asking the father to spare him from agony, weeping in the lonely darkness while his friends fell asleep. Our kids, your kids, are celebrating Palm Sunday today and it's a great thing you know I remember Palm Sunday as a kid thinking it was the coolest thing ever you know the throwing those palms down it's a big party Jesus is riding on a donkey you know the how how interesting is that we we had a donkey when I was a kid that when I was little I would I rode it like a horse I got pictures of me in a cowboy outfit riding this donkey around out around our cows so cool you know Jesus was doing that. We forget that as Jesus stood outside Jerusalem, he cried. Not for himself so much, although I think there was certainly the realization that he was about to suffer. But he wept over the hardness and the misunderstanding of the people in that city. That what they wanted him to bring to them was a kind of peace and prosperity that would have ended in them with no redemption. And so when we think, when we demand, we have prayed, and the peace that we demand is a peace that enters into our life that says you can have peace now because God's not going to let any difficulty befall you. It's no wonder that we lack peace when difficulty befalls us. Next slide. So what we have to see here is the peace that we have is a peace way more profound than, the, than, than some kind of protection against difficulty ever coming our way. Because the God who we cry out to, the God who we have to do with, doesn't stand apart in power and might, but comes to us in weakness. The only invulnerable one becomes vulnerable for us, right? So that the peace that we seek, not the, the reality that, 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 this, that as we turn to him, what does he promise to us? Well, his promise is, as we've already sung, he'll hold us fast. His promise is that he'll never leave us. His promise is is that uh, uh, we're never left alone because he he understands, sees, and knows what it's like to be vulnerable, to suffer loss, to suffer grief and sickness and disappointment and misunderstanding. You know, um, one of the things that I think has been such a tragedy uh, in uh, the pandemic is the number of our loved ones who have died without us being able to be there. You know, being present with my mom and dad in their last moments was sweet. It's a blessing. To not be with those we love, to hold their hand, to sing, you know, we, we stood around my dad's bed and recited the 23rd Psalm before he died. He lifted his arms. And, and, you know, he couldn't open his eyes, but he lifted his arms as he heard his kids and his grandkids doing that. It's so hard for me to think about all those folks who have died separated from that until I remember Jesus was there He held their hand. He saw them through. He carried them to glory. When you think about that, I don't know about you, but when I let that thought sink into my mind, because this Jesus knows what it's like to be carried to glory himself, to walk through the portal of death, I can have some peace. Not because people I love will never die, but people I love will die in Jesus. And that can give me peace. You see, he watches over his loved ones, holds us close, And even when we fail to pray, to trust, and we look for peace in all the wrong places, he is not deterred from his determination to give us his salvation. And that, for the Philippians, and that, for us today, is the source of this peace that guards our hearts and keeps us from being overwhelmed by the anxiety that comes from living in a broken world. Let me pray. Lord, we, we come to you today thanking you for uh, the fact, Jesus, that even though you knew suffering awaited you, uh, you did not demand to be delivered from that suffering, but yet you walked into it for our sake. So I pray that you would help us with that, Lord. I pray that you would teach us the value of sins forgiven. Teach us us the value of the atonement. Teach us the value of uh, the one who was strong becoming weak for us. Lord, would you uh, move us as we consider that this week in the midst of an anxious time and uh, as we look forward to the events of this week and ultimately to your triumph over sin and death, uh, that you would give us peace. Peace that is beyond circumstances and our feeble understanding, but peace that is grounded in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Would you do that for us today? In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.